evening. Nice to be here again. Um, let me ask how many of you uh, have sat with me before. Okay. Nice to be with old friends and nice to make new friends tonight also. Hmm. I want to speak a little bit about kirtan. How many of you are familiar with the term? Quite a few. All right. So, I'll explain a little bit. And uh, before I do, I want to cite one um, one verse, Sanskrit verse. Can you all hear me? Yeah. That speaks about kirtan. This is a verse uh, composed by Sri Chaitanya, whose very uh, method of kirtan is the type of kirtan that has been popularized uh, around the world and in the West over the years. It's kind of the fountain, if you will, of modern kirtan, although his uh, fountain began to flow in this world about 500 years ago. Otherwise, kirtan obviously predates him and uh, is probably tied originally to the mystic Narada of the Bhagavad, the great uh, kirtanir, kirtankar, who um, arguably enlightened the legendary author of the Upanishads and uh, the Gita and all the sacred texts, Vedavyas, enlightened him with uh, his the song of his own life story, Narada's own life story. It's very beautiful and interesting. The story covers several lifetimes, but it focuses on the lifetime that he became the great uh, kirtanir that he, he is. So with that, I'll cite this verse, and then we'll talk a little bit more about kirtan. Cheto darpanam arjanam bhava mahadavagani nirvapanam and I say this is a verse uh, composed by Sri Chaitanya. He composed eight verses. Um, and they are all about kirtan, really. This is the first of the eight verses. And it describes like a sevenfold efficacy in stages, developmental stages of um, spiritual insight and progress resulting from the spiritual practice of kirtan. So it's a kind of a deep thing, this idea of kirtan. It's a small word, but it's, it has a lot of deep uh, meaning. And um, obviously it, it uh, can be popularized at, um, at sometimes at the cost of the 
deeper meaning behind it and so forth. So I'd like to focus on that, if I can, to some extent. Um, here he concludes this verse with the word param vijayate Sri Krishna Sankirtanam. So he says, param vijayate, let there be uh, victory throughout the world hmm? for the kirtan of Sri Krishna. Kirtan, it comes from the Sanskrit verbal root kirti, which means, uh, like to give fame or to glorify, kirti. And as an active noun, as most, vast majority of active nouns in Sanskrit are, it's a, it's a, a feminine in gender. And it should be fairly apparent that kirtan as a, as a song, as glorification, implies some kind of uh, duality, it would seem. Or there's, there's you who do, who's doing the kirtan and there's someone who is being glorified unless you want to sit and praise yourself, I suppose. We could do that. And in a sense, kirtan does do that as well. It does uh, seek to awaken the self to what it really is, what its potential is, and so forth. And we'll have to talk about that to some extent. But uh, it, it also, as I say, it apparently um, posits some type of duality. Um, and that's a very loaded word, duality. It, 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 you know, it has many different meanings for many different people in many different circumstances. But um, at the same time that it posits some type of duality, and we'll have to talk about that, it also posits a, some type of non-duality in that the kirtan is a song uh, of glorification it's, in a sense, an act of love, hmm? to sing about someone in praise and so forth. And um, because it's of this, it, it is, uh, it's, uh, uh, kirtan is a spiritual practice, therefore it's to be understood that the minimal, if you will, result of engaging in this spiritual Discipline, if you could call it that, um, is that you transcend duality. Now, I said it's about some kind of duality, but I, now I said it's also about transcending duality. So, again, it's a, it's a big and loaded word, but uh, in a very basic sense, kirtan allows us, affords us very readily the opportunity to transcend the dualities that arise from our sense perception and our mind's mind being whatever, sixth sense. Um, in other words, the hots and colds and happies and sads and goods and bads that are all relative to our particular kind of material sense of self. Hmm? Um, our, I would like to say, uh, conventional ego or identity, like I'm an American or I'm a woman, I'm a yogi, it could be, it gets that bad. <laughs> uh, 
and, and so forth. And I have, you know, likes and dislikes and happies and sads, goods and bads and so forth, hots and colds. These uh, uh, dualities are obviously largely a result of a certain uh, perception on the part of each of us through the organs of perception, our senses. So for you it might be hot and for me it might be cold. Which is it? Right? And obviously that's a relative um, uh, perspective on the nature of life and being. Hmm? So spiritual practice in a very basic sense, regardless of what the tradition may be, if it's really worth its um, salt or whatever, um, then it is a practice, a culture that in a minimum affords us a transcendence of this type of duality that I'm speaking about. And any spiritual tradition that is not about that and doesn't lead to the doorway of that is really not uh, a spiritual tradition in the true sense of the word because if we don't dismantle if our practice doesn't dismantle a conventional sense of self based on mental constructs um, and um, fleeting desires and so forth, uh, it's not going to allow us to get at a sense of self or a sense of being that is enduring. And we, we do tend to think of spiritual life as something that is enduring, <laughs> as opposed to a life of material acquisition in which things are here today but they're gone tomorrow or, or they transform and before us after desiring to acquire them we desire to get rid of them often. So that, that whole type of uh, existence, existence that is, that is um, questionably so, it's a questionable existence, it's an existence that is really so much identified with the objective world and things hmm, that it's at the cost of thinking about the fact that, uh, well, we're not a thing. And, you know, the best things in life are not things. They're, in other words, there's a subjective and an objective component to life. And the subjective component is well, that's us. We are the experiencer, and then there's an objective world that is, that is experienced. Hmm? Kind of. That's how I say that because that's how important the subjective side is. Because, as we know, if we try to get to the bottom of the objective world, for what it is, we'll find ourselves there influencing whatever it is that we're, uh, the, the, the extent to which we're trying to measure and understand matter. You follow me? That's why Heisenberg said a long time ago that we don't really study nature, but the nature of human investigation of nature. <laughs> and that's as far close as we can get to mother nature. Hmm? She's always a little bit um, aloof. There's a Sanskrit word for the, 
the power of Mother Nature, if you will. And matter, of course, in the Latin, is, means mother, mater. So, um, <laughs> uh, the Sanskrit word is maya. And maya means that which is not. It means illusion. It means to measure. And it means, when I say to measure, it means matter is something that cannot be measured or completely brought within the uh, fist of our intellect, understood, conquered, mastered, but will always master, if you will, or enslave us to whatever extent we try to master her. She's a good master, <laughs> in other words. Hmm? And in an indirect way, she tries to push us towards what uh, we are hmm? in an enduring sense. Not what we are in terms of our identification with objects and things that cause us to think in uh, our attachments, which cause us to think I'm as I say, American or man or woman, um, black or white or whatever may be the case. <clears throat> Not that identity. Again, that existence is a questionable existence. It won't uh, endure. Things are here today and gone tomorrow and so forth. So, material nature, mother nature, tends to indirectly push us in the, in the direction of Realizing that we are the soul of nature, in a sense. We are, we are existence. We are units of existence. The subjective side is more uh, significant in this sense also that it gives meaning to matter, which wouldn't matter in, you understand, if it weren't for, for us. Hmm? We're sounding pretty important here. <laughs> but, uh, and, and kirtan is meant to, is a particular spiritual tradition. I say all the spiritual traditions are meant to bring us to these kind of basic understandings that I'm talking about. And these are really basic understandings. This is kind of the 101 of uh, spirituality. And, you, and you'll find this in all the... Uh, ego-effacing traditions, some way of talking about what I'm talking about. And the, the task, if you will, at hand of disentangling ourselves from an identity based on a attachment to things hmm, and coming to identify not only theoretically but practically, experientially, with the fact that we are uh, existence. Uh, consciousness precedes uh, everything. And this is a very, it's very interesting uh, thought because in a, in a modern scientific uh, community uh, and, and, and world that at present, anyway, tends to lean towards a kind of a materialistic understanding of, of life we're led to believe sometimes, and whether we do it consciously or not, we kind of function in this way, as if scientific facts are giving some type of security. Hmm? 
and knowing comprehensively, concretely, objectively. Hmm? Um, well, there's some truth to that. I mean, they went to the moon. That's pretty far out. When you, you know, there was, there was a big moon last month, right? The big star. And to think that they went there, I mean, that's a far out calculation. Um, it's a very extraordinary feat, in a sense. Um, I guess it could be demystified, <laughs> uh, fair enough. But uh, it's it's a it's a objective kind of accomplishment. Mm. But as far as, as I said earlier, really getting to the bottom of understanding what matter is, uh, going to the moon you know, hasn't helped us that much more. Or, or wherever we go, if the point I made earlier, I mean, you just, you're going to find the same thing. Um, uh, it's uh, elusive. And, be, and the reason is that because we, we, when we try to conquer nature, hmm, well, she wants to stand back. and That's not your place. You have a place. Hmm? Indeed, nature wants to say, you give meaning to me in a sense. As I said, matter takes on a meaning if it matters to somebody. Hmm? But if we try to conquer nature hmm, materially, in an objective sense, we're 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 kind of like you know in a boxing match with uh, with Godzilla or something. Uh, you know we <laughs> we're a small subjective particle, and matter is vast and inconceivable and uh, magical, really. The way it works, you can never figure out entirely how it works. Hmm? Um, so to try to meet head to head with matter and conquer nature. This is a folly, but nature wants to encourage us indirectly, in a sense, to rise above and understand nature, and that way conquer nature, in a, in a, in a, not in a detailed, objective sense, but understanding what, how identification with the objective world limits myself, causes me to think I'm going to die. I've identified in a certain way with matter, and when the biological sense of self dies, this is a problem, right? Hmm? It's said that if you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. So this is kind of the bhakti approach to nature, a spiritual approach to uh, understanding nature. There are secrets of nature, and you are one of the secrets of nature, the big secret that you and I, we are the soul, if you will, of nature. Hmm? So, uh, when, when science gives us this very sense of like concrete facts and so forth, it's interesting to note that over the history of modern scientific accomplishment, which is vast, and, and we bow to the accomplishments of modern science, we live on the, on the uh, fruits of them in many respects, but we don't lay prostrate entirely before them and that methodology. Uh, we think that there's some room for measurement, hmm? within reason. And within reason would be to measure and explore nature in such a way that it would facilitate the unveiling of ourselves, the revealing of ourselves, and the transcendence of nature altogether. This is how the sacred Hindu texts talk about the world, incidentally. 
It's very interesting. In other words, in our scientific text, we talk about the world in a particular way, and then you go back to texts like the Bhagavad Gita or the Bhagwat, for example, and they talk about the world in a very, what might be confusing way, compared to the way we talk about the, the, the cosmology and so forth. And then someone say, well, that's just a bunch of superstition. These people obviously didn't know what they were talking about. And they're also talking about a soul, so we know that's, you know, or an atma, or consciousness. It's not something to be, be concerned about. It's some type of, a, you know, immersion from the mind, from the brain, if you will. It's a mind, or it's not a mind. It's, a, you know, these kind of confusing so-called um, philosophical arguments about, in favor of the idea that, there is no self in a material sense. We are all matter and so forth. So these, uh, no, but no, uh, actually, <laughs> these ancient texts were talking about the world in a different way. For example, the ancient Hindus were very much interested in using measurement, and they were very sophisticated in that, you know, the zero comes from the Hindus. Einstein said, without Hindus and the Indians, we, we wouldn't be able to do any science about the number zero, you'd be zero. Uh, with <laughs> so uh, they, were, they, they, they knew, they were intelligent people, they knew how to calculate and measure and so forth, but they, they also knew how to not over-evaluate the measuring capacity of a, of a human being in the face of, of material nature. So they would measure largely uh, and calculate their their descriptions of the cosmology are kind of like time maps that calculate times that they considered were were auspicious or inauspicious, sacred or not, and and for the performance of various spiritual rituals and so forth that would uh, afford them windows into reality that transcends time hmm? and space. So they're describing the same thing, but from a very different angle. They're using instruments of measurement, but they have an different, entirely different purpose in mind. I mean, it's kind of like, well, you know, uh, a tiger loves a young girl. A young boy might love a young girl. And a yogi might also love a young girl. Hmm? Hopefully all from very, you know, different perspectives. Hmm? The tiger would like to eat her. <laughs> the young boy has other ideas in mind, and the sage yeah, is also loves the girl and the boy equally. Hmm. Transcending that basic duality, as I say. So, different uh, perspectives. With regard to time, interestingly, and kirtan, as the Hindus described it, this happens to be a time. It's called the Kali Yuga. It's a, it's, a, it's a time, a quality of time that they calculated and reasoned was um, largely inauspicious, but in which, during which kirtan was very efficacious. Kirtan is a limb of the body of the discipline of bhakti. And we see that it's very, uh, it's overflowed these days into other disciplines. Ashtanga Yoga, some of you practice Ashtanga Yoga. You may have learned that there are um, um, limbs of yoga, or what would you call them? 
your um, okay limbs of the body of yoga. <laughs> Yama, niyama, asana, pratyana, pranayam, pratyahar, dharna, dhyan, samadhi, eightfold in Ashtanga Yoga. So you didn't hear kirtan in there. Hmm? That was not one of them. You see? So that's actually a different discipline. But we find in the modern day that kirtan has overflowed into the Astanga Yuga community also. Hmm? It's a quite a natural thing to sing and to glorify and, uh, um, uh, and it's a powerful actually spiritual discipline in this particular time, if you will, the Kali Yuga. Kirtan is like the right arm of the body of bhakti, a tradition, a discipline, a spiritual practice of love, which is very contradictory because you can't practice love uh, I don't think uh, it tends to be natural and spontaneous and so forth and that's true so at the same time there's something called sadhana bhakti there's something called bhava bhakti something called prema bhakti they're all bhakti hmm? bhakti begets bhakti it's like a mango or an apple let's say which is the maybe the mango of North America it is uh, you know like now at our ashram in California, there are blossoms on the apple tree. So we know some apples will be coming. Hmm? And then there'll be green apples, and then there'll be red or yellow ripe apples. So an apple is an apple is an apple. Um, so with regard to bhakti as a discipline, then there's bhakti in practice, there's bhakti in ecstasy, and bhakti in love, love of, love of, of God. Hmm? which is the churning of bhakti and ecstasy. So the bhakti in practice, we incorporate things like kirtan. If we do a kirtan, that's called kirtan. If we hear the kirtan, which is part of the kirtan, is we call shravan, hearing and chanting. It is kind of a back and forth, right? Hmm? Back and forth. It's, uh, it's kind of round, it's kind of circular. Hmm? You chant, you chant, I chant, you sing, you hear, I chant. Hmm? It is meant, in a sense, in a, in a very general sense, for the practitioners, the beginners in this discipline, to bring us in some type of harmony with the rhythm of the world, kind of the dharma of the world, as it's thought of by the Hindus. Hmm? With its ebb and flow, the rising and falling of the high and the low tide, the waning and waxing of the moon, the movement of the seasons through spring, summer, uh, autumn and, and fall, rising, the setting of the sun, and so forth. Life is thought to be in the world of kirtan, to be very um, cyclical. It's not linear, which is very disturbing to the mind, comparatively. Hmm? If I draw a line, there's no pattern. Hmm? And a line is made up of so many dots but you cannot identify any particular dot hmm? or anything except unless it's in relation you can't define it unless it's in relation to something else but it's the dot on a line it's past that it's in relation to it goes you know where does it begin you can't that's why you can never figure out in linear world whether the chicken or the egg came first or the seed or the tree I like that a little better which came first, the seed or the tree? 
if you look at it from a linear perspective, you're going to go back and there's going to be a tree, and there's going to be a seed, there's going to be a tree and a seed, and, and you can't trace out the beginning, so it's like, er, it, the mind is agitated by that. <laughs> and it's going in a straight line, it's forever, so, also. But if you look at, you want to answer that question, then you look at the world cyclically, and you find the answer is neither, because in the whole circle, you go the whole circle, there's a seed in a tree, and 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 a seed in a tree. And you can say there's a pattern here. It comes to a close. It starts and it comes to a close. The Hindus saw the world as, as coming and going. And it's compared to the breath of Vishnu. Breathes out and the world manifests. Breathes in, gets tired of it, it all comes back in, and then starts again. Each cycle is complete, so the infinite regress is not an issue as it would be in, in linear thought. Hmm? Modern science, which we're also talking about here, has tended to be, from its inception, with some help from Augustine and Christianity, drawn perhaps further back from the New Testament, uh, at looking at the, it's been looking at the world in a linear way. Hmm? That's why it's so disturbing. <laughs> uh, well, well, there's no pattern. And, and we end up sometimes thinking, pursuing along these lines, that there is no meaning to life. There is no purpose to life. That's a little disconcerting. They want to tell you, anyway, get over it. Hmm? We will not get over that. Hmm? Because really the fact of the matter is there is meaning to life. There is purpose to life. There is a pattern to life. This kirtan is meant to help us, you see, in a basic sense, come out of the a way in which knowingly or unknowingly we're thinking and moving in the world. Again, I said modern science tends to make us think that it's going to give us concrete, objective facts and so forth. But if we look at the history of modern science, it's constantly changing its facts, which is sometimes said to be, you know, its credit that, well, it's willing to change when it finds new information. Whereas religion is put forward as being, well, they just stuck. They never change. It's all in the old book like this and so forth. There is a form of religion like that, there's, there's no doubt. But the ego-effacing religious tradition or mysticism is, is a different affair. It's not a different affair. It's really the heart of religious traditions that tends to get obscured sometimes when religious people become more objective, more identified with the objective world than their subjective self. In other words, they use religion to get things pray for things. Hmm? <laughs> there would be better things to pray for. Huh? Things will come and things will go of their own accord. Hmm? That's a fact. Hmm? We shouldn't spend our time trying to acquire hmm, and trying to get rid of things that we've acquired only to acquire more. Hmm? Hmm? We have a quota, so to speak. We have sown we are reaping. Hmm? So we should stop and think and see what we've reaped and react to our the, the reaping based on our previous sowing in such a way that we will not sow any more seeds of material repercussions. Hmm? We will not continue to be a taker because as soon as we take, we owe. And our identification with matter results in our being a taker. That's an unfortunate, unbecoming fact. Hmm? You follow me? 
In other words, well, just in a very simple sense, if I think I'm, I'm this body, then this body needs to eat, so I've got to get out there and get some, something. Hmm? There's only so, much, so many things out there, I guess you could say, so I'm at odds to one extent or another with something, the thing I'm eating, <laughs> perhaps. However low down on the food chain I might go, it's unavoidable. I'm a taker. Hmm? It's a, it, the Bhagavad, one of the texts from the Hindus, puts it like this, Jivo jiva sajivanam. It's a very Darwinian kind of statement. One living being is food for another. You kind of have to look over your shoulder as you eat. <laughs> hmm? It's a fact. Uh, so this is this is not a very uh, comfortable type of uh, uh, existence to move away from that to be a giver rather than a taker bhakti is about loving hmm? kirtan is a very prominent expression of that love even in an ordinary sense materially speaking we love we kind of sing you know in the shower or whatever spontaneously or in the car when you're driving it's just kind of natural hmm? it's a spiritual practice but it's a very natural spiritual practice spiritual discipline hmm? Now, while our linear kind of view of life that we're trying to get out of by entering into the kind of the, the circle of kirtan, if you will, it's kind of the big drum circle of, in the sky, appearing on earth at the, at, in the Kali Yuga, you know, in our times, as I said. Hmm? Um, <laughs> that comparison, to modern science has said, you know, it, it gives us the sense of surety. People in general kind of move with, well, the scientists said it, you know, there it is. It's true. What they're actually finding, though, is that the world is like, doesn't give you any sure footing. You know, is it geocentric? Is it, what are the other one? Heliocentric, thank you. Uh, what's, what's, what is it centered around? We would say in the Kirtan world it is Atma-centric and Paramatma-centric. It's not that the Hindus thought, oh, simplistically, Everything, the seasons are coming in circles, so life goes in circle. They actually witnessed that everything is moving around me. I'm a unit of consciousness. I'm the ground, part of the ground of being. And there's comings and goings like this of matter of, that constitutes the world. I'm energizing this coming and going, and it's a fantastic show that unfortunately identify with and get lost in, kind of like a virtual reality. Hmm? And I suffer <laughs> the consequences of that, although I never suffer and I never even touch the whole affair. I'm different from it altogether. I'm the experiencer. You should understand this point. Try to, please, with me. The subjective reality, consciousness, is not matter. It will never, ever be understood hmm? by any type of material exercise or experiment. You cannot get subjectivity out of objectivity. Hmm? You cannot, no matter how many atoms you put together, you don't get an atma. Hmm? Atom and atma, you know, they're different words, is <laughs> the point I want to make. And, and this, this point I'm making in relation to the idea that we kind of get from our modern scientific materialistic kind of influences, that being that 
we're figuring all the facts out and things are always getting better. Well, it's not getting a little better all the time. <laughs> you know, it's not. <laughs> and I liked the Beatles too, but you know, they weren't right about everything. But um, <laughs> so, it, you know, it's not just moving in line. Everything's always getting better. These cycles are coming. That the, the spiritual traditions want to say, from, want to say to us, and, and in a big way, in the Hindu context, the world is coming and going and saying in a big way it's, it's expanding the universe and it's contracting for a pause to catch his breath and Vishnu exhales the breathing of God and again it comes and it's a sigh so to speak and when it contracts the whole world it wants to say to us repeatedly from a time without beginning these cycles are coming and going hmm? it wants to say to us it ends however well you put it together Materially, it's going to end. That's the constant beat it comes back to. And it ends. Da -da 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 -da. Then it repeats. Da -da 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 -da. Kirtan works like this. Hmm? Classically speaking, the kirtan works when you play with the drum, it has a beat. Then it goes again. And it'll vary from that. The rag and the tall and so forth. But it tends to be circular, hmm? cyclical. You can't find, it's very difficult, I should say, to find a straight line in nature. We were walking today in the, was it, Hoyt, Hoyt Arboretum and the different trees, you know, they've seen different, it's very nicely organized for, by trees. And some of them look very tall and straight. You think, well, here's a straight line in nature. But of course, if you really want to understand the tree, and it's wisdom, then you look inside and you'll understand it by its circles. Hmm? Right? It, its circles tell its age and it, what it really knows and so forth. And it's actually constructed in a circle. Hmm? It grows in a circle, something like that. Hmm? So this kirtan, is, it's, it's, a, it's meant to shift in, a, in the very beginning of our practice, shift our focus but it, it, this is a major shift, actually. And it, when it shifts our focus from the objective world to the subjective world, and tr it tries to bring us, at the same time, in rhythm with the world, because it reasons, Kirtan reasons, that if we don't understand, in a basic sense, the nature of nature, hmm, we won't understand ourselves as the experiencer of nature. So it, it wants us to understand nature and get close to nature. Hmm? And as I said, to love nature, for that matter. Hmm? And as a result of that, get a kind of a footing in this world that will promote otherworldly sensibilities that the, the, or promote the sense that we are the soul of nature, if you will. Hmm? Um, now, when I speak about ourselves as a soul of nature, again, obviously I'm saying we are consciousness. I don't mean that we are perception or any cognitive kind of faculty of the brain hmm? or awareness, self-awareness of things, perception. These are all things that are really part of a very sophisticated machine called the human body that's, that's that's part of nature. I mean, nature is fascinating. 
absolutely fascinating. The, and the, probably the most fascinating thing is, is the human body. Hmm? And then the human brain. Hmm? All those neurons and things. So, you know, a lot of people these days in the scientific community, they want to, not a lot of people, but some, it's more popular nowadays to study consciousness. In the in world of classical physics, it wasn't popular to study consciousness. It was thought, well, it's a closed system. There's nothing from outside that can influence it. What's this consciousness stuff? We won't deal with it. But with the advent of quantum um, perspective on life, consciousness became, again, you know, prominent. And there was some uncertainty from a, from a determined world to some uncertainty in the world. Hmm? Uncertainty doesn't mean free will, but it does give an opening for it to come in in a way that it doesn't come in a, you know, a classical um, Newtonian kind of world view. Hmm? So this is another example then, of course, of how science is changing its perspective. Einstein said, if quantum theory is correct, it's the end of physics, as he knew it. Of course, it, 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 they had par new paradigms are hard to, you know, hard to digest for people. People are invested, hmm? and uh, <laughs> in in pragmatic strategies that make life kind of work, hmm? and offer a prospect a little bit more, and it will work. Completely. Hmm? Science is also offering a big carrot, hmm? so to speak, of, of material, I mean, certain perspective on science, a, a material uh, kind of promissory Eccles, John Eccles, as a uh, Nobel laureate, he said, he called it promissory materialism. Maguire hmm? used to call it a postdated check. Same idea. That just give us a little more time, and you know, we, we'll, we'll give you a full meal here. But all we get is some appetizer. Only leads to indigestion. That's hmm? problematic. So, what we really find is that from the scientific community, we find a lot of uncertainty. We find that at any minute we could think we could find out that the, the world is moving around. We could think, and it would work pragmatically to some extent, also. For all our basic needs, but the world's going around the, the earth is the world's going around the universe is going around the earth. You could think, well, that's crazy, but people ate and slept, they had kids and raised them. These are the basic things of life, right? Hmm? Not that there aren't some improvements that have come from the mathematical calculations of Galileo and who's the other one? The other guy. Copernicus, Copernicus, yeah, Copernicus. Uh, uh, that, you know, let us have a different perspective that the world is going around the sun and so forth. But I mean, basically, again, we're only just eating and sleeping and mating and protecting ourselves. This is, you know, basically what we do. We can embellish it in any way we like. My Guru Maharshi used to say sometimes, well, you know, he said, dog is running on four legs and barking and a man is riding on four wheels and blowing the horn. <laughs> yeah, it's not, you know, I'm over here or check me out or whatever. That's how it used to be in the 50s anyway. Um, 
this is very uh, kind of, I don't want to dismiss, as I said, and we do bow to many of the accomplishments of modern science and acknowledge we live within them and we're comfortable to some extent, but if that comfort leads to the point where we lose impetus even and, 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 and sense of common sense hmm, that there's more to us than what meets the eye and the mind, and we are the more. Hmm? There's, there, there's the, as I said, matter matters because there's consciousness. We are that consciousness. Human life is the chance that we, we start to experience this. Consciousness is there from the, from the, you know, from the bottom up. Hmm? In other words, through all species of life. But when consciousness arrives, if you will, in human form of life, it is facilitated by that human form, by that vehicle, to express and experience itself that much more. It has a more sophisticated brain. It has an interface, we would call it a psychophysiological interface called the mind, hmm? that very much matches up with the brain in some way. That's why you can press a place in the brain and you can lose your memory. Hmm? Right? So the mind's kind of like, a, in Hinduism, kind of like a glove, in Vedanta, a glove on the mind, and it's an interface through which consciousness, which is entirely different, matters kind of, mind's kind of a subtle form of matter. So it has a physical and a psychic uh, component. Hmm? It's slightly subjective and slightly objective. In mind, we experience qualia, you know, we experience redness blueness. It's subjective. Hmm? What that is, in a sense, is a subjective experience of the feeling of the objective world. Hmm? This is going on in mind. But above this, and different categorically from mind and, and body or brain, is the self, consciousness, existence. It doesn't matter if you press something in my brain and I lose my memory. It, 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 does, I haven't, it doesn't stop me from existing. If you, if you destroy my brain, stem and so forth, uh, again, this is, this is a different thing altogether. This is the, this is the objective world, hmm? the subjective world. In other words, what I'm saying to you is I am is the beginning of all knowledge. Everything proceeds from there. Do you follow me? If you want to say that... that, that, that if you want to say, I don't exist, you can say it. That's fine. You can say one and one equals three, too. But do you understand me? It doesn't make any sense. Do you follow me? Hmm? If you say, I'm dead, well, you can say it. <laughs> you see, this is a preformative con contradiction in philosophical terms. You can say it. The point I'm making is that you cannot deny consciousness. It, it requires consciousness to deny consciousness. You, this, is, this is primal. You cannot get around this. And this is a spiritual fact, if you will, that has been in place since time without beginning in this world. I'm comparing for you a couple of worldviews here. A linear, you know, kind of... Now modern science is becoming a little cyclical. That, that's another thing. But a materialistic kind of worldview an objective worldview that everything's matter to a spiritual worldview, consciousness being spiritual. Hmm? 
And what I'm saying is that while the objective world is constantly in flux, and we're trying to like, figure it out and it keeps moving, so to speak. There are some basic laws. Yes, there's uh, strong and weak nuclear forces. There are, there's gravitational pull and there's, what is the other one? Uh, electromagnetic influence and so forth. Yeah, um, but and you, you think, we've got to handle these are the basic forces. And look, we can move them like this and we can pop this out and create that and do that and life becomes more fun or whatever. Uh, but to think, but again, to think that we've mastered matter, or getting close to it, is, is now they posit. You know, we used to think that there was one universe. Now people are trying to trying to bridge the gap between classical physics and 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 quantum. You know, things like string theory come up, and they're positing like hundreds of dimensions now, mathematically, to kind of make it all work. To probably to make relativity work with. Uh, uh, or gravity with, with quantum insights, something like that. I, the point I'm making is that you're trying to understand the objective world and it's just like you can't get any security from it. Hmm? You can be sure that it will constantly be changing. The rug will constantly be pulled out from underneath your feet. Hmm? Now what's c- constant, and it's interesting, as I said, we kind of think we're going to get the feet, the concrete facts here we can you know, stand on. Hmm? a ground that we can that is firm hmm? meanwhile we look at the spiritual tradition like the bhakti tradition and any spiritual tradition worth it's that's, that's meaningful which is an ego effacing one which means to say it wants to say you're not the objective world that you've identified with consciousness is reflecting in the mind an identity is coming it animates the world it goes on magically and you, I said like, you identify with it and get lost in it hmm? No, to bring us back from that and to and, and come to that we are consciousness. This is something that the spiritual traditions have been saying forever, since a time without beginning, and it will never end. You understand? It can, it can never end, and it cannot have a beginning. Consciousness proper, what we're talking about, cannot, by very definition, have a beginning or have an end. This is the ground, then, of being for you that you can get footing on, that you can stand on. You cannot get, in other words, you cannot get, it's, like I said, you can't do anything. You can't, you can't, consciousness is primal. It, 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 it's behind everything. It is existence. We are units of existence. Kirtan is meant to bring us in the very beginning stages in acquaintance with this, and it does so. In a rhythmic way, in a sense, but by bringing us in touch with the movements of nature and this kind of cyclical nature of, of the world that's, that's, that causes us to start to like participate in the world more than try to conquer the world. Describe it mathematically, then go out and, 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 and conquer it and so forth. It's a, it's a very... Um, no, it's an expression of love, kirtan. Hmm? Now, I said, of course, that it's dualistic in a sense, and non-dualistic in a sense, right? Hmm? Non-dualistic in a sense that it enables us to transcend the dualities of heat and cold, good and bad, and so forth and so on. But as much in, as in doing so, 
it reveals what we are as a unit of consciousness. If we look at that, we'll be able to understand the dual, the duality that arises in kirtan. That's very beautiful. Hmm? What are we? I said we are a unit of consciousness. I am. So how would we describe consciousness then? I mean, it's hard to describe something that is the describer. Consciousness is doing this describing. So, I mean, we could say that's what it does. <laughs> it's, uh, it's experience. Can, you experience. can the experiencer experience? Hmm? In a sense, no. To experience requires another, right? Hmm? You follow me? So, so consciousness is an experience here, then we could say in relation to matter, but then we're saying matter is here today and gone tomorrow, and I have an existence that is independent of matter ultimately. Hmm? So I'm a unit I'm an, of experience. I'm an experiencer, but... <laughs> so, okay. We're a unit of being. We exist. But we also know that we exist. So we're a unit of knowing. Not in the material sense of knowing things, but we know that we exist. Hmm? We can come to know that we exist, the extent to which we exist. That'll be the end of all fear. All anxiety. You know the extent to which you exist. We are all threatened by a sense of potential non-existence in terms of our conventional sense of self. Hmm? So there's a fear that pervades material existence. Hmm? And the root of it is that we do not know the extent to which we exist. And when we think about things, we talk about these things, it's very useful. It helps us. But of course we have to go there. Kirtan is kind of where that, you know, we can talk about it or we can do it. But there's some talking about it may be helpful because it may help to give us some reason to do it, to engage in this silly thing of sitting here with some old drum and that kind of thing. And people think, oh, yeah, they're over there. There they go again at the bhakti shop, you know, <laughs> with their chanting and so forth. And it doesn't even have to be musically, you know, good. Uh, it's really a hard exercise. Hmm? In fact, one guru in our lineage has said that he used to, he used to sing off-key on purpose hmm? so, that his, so that his students wouldn't get distracted hmm? by just the music of it all. Hmm? <laughs> ah, so if they could really hear his heart, hmm? that would be sweet. Hmm? That would be charming. That would be soft. That would be comforting. Good music is comforting for the mental and emotional system, you know, to an extent. It always just, you, you hear it again and again, and then, you know, well, I've got to hear another, something else after a while. That's a really great song. You can only listen to it so many times, right? Hmm? But to listen to the self, what the self is, that this is a, a whole different idea. Yoga is for this. Kirtan is for this. Hmm? So, we're a unit of being. We're also a unit of, we could say we're composed of knowing, knowing that we be. Hmm? I would say that 
we exist and we know that we exist and we know that we exist to love. Now I've posited a purpose for consciousness, loving. Hmm? If consciousness is entangled with matter, as we spoke about earlier, we see that in that condition consciousness becomes degraded, if you will, almost, into an embarrassing position of a taker. Having identified with matter, hmm? needing to take the hunter, being hunted, how embarrassing hmm? for something that is existence itself. Hmm? Has no threat. <laughs> Nothing can threaten it. It, it, it. It's animating the whole affair. Hmm? This is an unbecoming position. So I would reason then uh, that if consciousness in its identification with the objective world where it loses sight of itself is a taker, hmm? then when it becomes un disentangled from that identification, it is a giver. Indeed, the way in which we are taught in every spiritual tradition it's worth something to move away from in the direction of our real self is to in the very least begin to refrain from taking if we stop from taking then we're in an, in an indirect way we're loving right it's that's not the full face of love to stop taking but it's a good start hmm? so <laughs> there's some paths that speak, uh, emphasize this, to give up taking, stop exploitation, and so forth. Hmm? You're, you're there, it, this is at the loss of your sense of, real sense of self. Hmm? Sit and be. Hmm? You are. Hmm? And it's true. Kirtan, being part of the bhakti tradition, well, it has to be about love, right? It's an expression of love. It's the right arm of the body of bhakti. Hmm? And it's kirtan. So here it says, Param Vijayate Shri Krishna Sankirtan. Chaitanya is advocating kirtan of Shri Krishna. We, we chant the name of Krishna, Govinda Jai Jai. We find in the Gita, some of your students of Bhagavad Gita, this is the advocacy of the Gita. Satatam kirtayanto mam. Mahatmanastu mam parta daivim prakriti mashritaha. Krishna says, though there are different kinds of transcendentalists, hmm? there are those I, who, who, who take shelter of my uh, bhakti, bhakti to me, it's a kind of a shakti, hmm? who take shelter of that, daivim prakritim. Hmm? It's another kind of shakti. Maya shakti is one thing. Hmm? This is another shakti. They take shelter of my spiritual shakti, called bhakti. Bhakti Devi. As I said, this kirtan is feminine, bhakti is feminine. They take shelter of Bhakti Devi. Hmm? And what do they do? Satatam kirtayantomam. They are always engaging kirtan about me. Hmm? Now we have to explore who is that me. Hmm? But this is the, 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 the significant other, if you will, that's a requirement. If the self, in its constitution, is a unit not only of being and knowing, but a unit of loving. Loving being its very purpose. Hmm? Indeed, if existence, which we are a part of, 
is loving in its nature, then it has to exist and it has to know. Do you follow me? You could have an existence that didn't know itself. You could have an existence that was aware of itself that wasn't blissful or loving. But you can have a loving existence that doesn't exist. You can't have a loving existence that, that isn't aware, cognizant. So inside of loving, I want to say, the knowing moment of the self, the being, exist, existential moment of the self, are contained. Hmm? That's why in, in the bhakti tradition, the whole emphasis is on loving. Hmm? And that loving takes full, uh, it's given full expression. In other words, it's not a tradition that speaks about not taking and stops there, which is a big thing. But it speaks about giving hmm, to the center in such a way that non-taking, not taking, comes about automatically. Hmm? That result comes about automatically, but more happens. Hmm? The full potential for loving that the atma uh, is, is possessed of, existence is possessed of, is realized. In other words, what I'm saying to you is that loving requires a significant other. Here is the duality, right? But at the same time, hmm, that other has to be of the nature of consciousness as well. Because we are talking about, through bhakti, through kirtan, transcending the self that's identified with matter. We're finding others there, but that's not working. Hmm? Or it's only working, you know, kind of relatively for a while or to some extent. Oh, you know, he's okay, you know. Or, you know, work today, you know. I mean, I love him, but, um, you know, you got realistic after a while, too. It only goes so far. Uh, but we want it to go further. Hmm? And it can. This is my point. Hmm? when the self is properly centered. And this is what bhakti is about. So there must be a significant consciousness other. Hmm? Not a significant objective world other. Hmm? So what I'm saying is that when we transcend the dualities of material existence, ups and downs, goods and bads, happies and sads and so forth, we, we, we land on the ground of being the self we're on secure and firm ground. Hmm? That might be a great relief and a great pause, and you might just want to go, oh, wow, I exist, and I know it, and I, and I love to exist. It's great. Hmm? But in the Dabakti tradition, we are thinking, let's go from there. Can there be any dancing on that ground? Can there be any movement on that ground? Hmm? That's a different kind of movement. Understand? Hmm? Now we're moving in this world because the ground is moving. Hmm? That ground is still, but we can move on it. Hmm? That's a very intriguing spiritual idea. We're moving away from like the 101 of consciousness studies here into the 108. It's, it, it's, it's, it's very different. So there's, we, we've arrived at a, at, a, at a sense of unity in other words, we've transcended these differences that get in the way of us actually loving one another. Hmm? The immense value, if you will, 
of realizing that I'm a unit of consciousness in just the very beginning sense from a worldly perspective is the kind of compassion that comes from that, the kind of loving that is impossible to arrive at by any other method. No matter how nice you want to be, you want to understand? No matter how politically correct or whatever it is you want to be, however good your intentions are, without yoga, without a real spiritual discipline that enables you to transcend the mind, you cannot be a lover in the full sense of the term. Your loving here is going to be hurting there. It's two, you know, two sides, the same coin. I love you, but you are doing how? So this idea you could talk about it, you know, love the sinner and so forth. You really had to come to a transcendental position. You know, Jesus loved Judas. What do you say about that? Hmm? He saw him in the crowd, right? And he looked and looked in his eyes. Thanks because of you. Thank you. I'm going to be crucified. And that's the whole story, right? That's, his, that's the glory, right? Of the, of the Christ. And Judas was the instrument. He loved him. I mean, <laughs> you can't do that. Somebody you know, tells on you and you're going to get crucified tonight. I mean, you know, it's hard to like that guy. <laughs> this is my point. So what comes out of the cave, the yogi's cave? You went to a cave. You know. So what? He stopped eating. You know, he became a breatharian. You know, people talk about it. What's the value for the world that we can drive from this? It's immense. Immense. The author of this verse that I started with, Sri Chaitanya, he, he actually um, implemented the whole dharma of, the, of kirtan, nam dharma, hmm? I'm drawing from all of this philosophy, uh, theology of, of, of Nam. Kirtan is of different types. You can do kirtan of Nam, kirtan of qualities, kirtan of you can kirtan about somebody's qualities, about their name, about their their activities, and so forth. So about God, hmm? Krishna. We were talking. Krishna is a name for for the God. It, you know, there are different names for God, and they have different meanings, and they 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 describe different aspects of the center, if you will, of God. If you look at the name Krishna and you study it, you go, oh yeah, well, this is the good one. <laughs> this, I mean, this, is a, this is an interesting one. They're all good. But this is the one that talks about kind of the heart of divinity. Hmm? You know, you think the center, the center is controlling everything, the circumference, if you will, dependent upon the center, right? The center must hold, and it does. So there's power to the center. So we talk about a center, a Godhead, we're going to think perhaps something powerful. There's some truth to that. But Krishna, for example, is depicted as, as only playing. He doesn't have like four heads or a thousand arms like some of the gods and goddesses in Hinduism. They're pretty powerful, you know. Shiva's powerful. He's, he's a power of renunciation. He's depicted as being, being dressed in ashes. It wasn't for fashion, you know, sake, but, you know, it's like, that's in the Himalayas. It's cold, it gets cold up there. You, know? you allow him a little something, you know, some ashes, but <laughs> he's, he's by ragi. He's detached. Hmm? 
in the Shiva tradition, this is a, this is a kind of a knowledge-based tradition, we advance spiritually by detachment, by giving up. In the bhakti tradition, we don't advance by giving up. We advance by adding on. Hmm? And giving up comes automatically from that. Hmm? By finding something better to be, to be involved in, to express our loving propensity elsewhere, toward the center. And that center is playing, as he's depicted in Hinduism. What does that mean? I thought it was a powerful center. Yes. You could, you could control, like the Brahma has four heads, means you've got a lot of power of thinking. You could try to think it out. Hmm? Shiva's even a bigger thinker than Brahma. Hmm? He went in entirely within. He stopped using his head. Shiva stopped thinking. Hmm? Brahma is, depicts the power of controlling the whole world and organizing it and so forth. Shiva depicts moving away from the whole organization, the whole thing to the self within. Hmm? There's power in that. Power of renunciation. It's attractive. Like he didn't, he, He's just sitting out there in the forest. He doesn't need anything. People go after him. They think, you know? So these are power you know, depictions, if you will. But Krishna's just playing a flute. <laughs> Herding some cows, you know, you see those pictures. He's got these milk maidens, so forth. He got nothing to do. Hmm? But of course, as I like to say, it requires power to play. Hmm? If you want to take a vacation, you've got to have money in the bank. Hmm? So the implication is who's always playing has all power. Hmm? But is the and controls as the center by the power of affection, hmm? not by any force other than affection. And this is the most powerful thing, because by affection's force, I can turn your faults into ornaments. Hmm? As a saying, mother named her blind son lotus -eyed. Do you understand? Lotus eyes. She was blind. <laughs> you know, a blind person doesn't have the most beautiful eyes, objectively speaking, but she was blind out of affection. She turned his faults into ornaments. Being, knowing, these are definitely subordinate to loving. You could be and you could know and not love, but you cannot love and not be and not know. And being and knowing at the same time become, in a sense, less significant in loving, even though the being and knowing of a loving existence is more substantial than any other being or knowing. Hmm? If I was to take being unto itself, I'm just going to be. Hmm? That's a, that's, if I could, let's say I could love to exist, okay. Hmm? But if I exist to love, love is becoming bigger than the existing. But that existing is bigger than the existing in which I love to exist. Do you understand? This isn't math here. But <laughs> if I exist and I love to exist, existence becomes the big thing. If I exist to love, love becomes the big thing. Existence becomes smaller, but that existence is a bigger existence than the existence in which one loves to exist.
Hmm? You understand? This is a big existence. That's why I say, you know, the whole world could burn down, but if you're with someone you love in a cave or in the hollow of a tree, it would all work out. Hmm? Loving is the big thing. Hmm? Uh, Krishna is depicted as being small hmm? and, and finite-like, human-like. Hmm? It means there is a realm in which the finite gets close to the infinite. And in order for that to take place in intimacy, the fine, infinite has to take a finite-like appearance. Otherwise, we'd say, we'd say, oh my God, I'm in touch with God, and I would be pushed back. Hmm? Krishna means the center has become influenced by the, by the circumference, so to speak. Hmm? Bhakti. Hmm? You see, if Krishna is the center... If you're using this term as an idea, it's beautiful, uh, and it's, it is true. If I'm a unit of consciousness, and then there's the, the source of consciousness, if I'm a unit of consciousness, and as a unit of consciousness, I have a factor to my being that's ananda, satchit ananda, being, knowing, loving. And the loving is my purpose, as I'm talking about. Then, as I said, there has to be a significant consciousness other for me to express that love fully with, in relation to, who might become one with in a dynamic way, like two people are in love, they're on the same page, they're still two people, but they're of one mind, something like that. So this is a dynamic non-duality. Hmm? Become one with God in love. There's the, there's the individual atma, and there's the paramatma, the Godhead, both existing in a compact of love. So I need, as a unit of consciousness, a significant other, but the source needs a significant other also. For the source to be a loving existence, it needs a significant other. And there's no other. What's it going to do? <laughs> then the God did, there's no other, in a sense. Hmm? So this is the idea of Radha Krishna. Hmm? It said, Radha Krishna Pranai Vikudhiladini Shaktira Smad Ekatmano Vapi Bhipure De Hambero Gatoto Chaitanya Kam Prakatam Aduna Tadvayam Chaikyam Aptam Radha Bhava Duty Subalitam Nomi Krishna Surupam This is so rich with and deep with meaning. Hmm? But very briefly, Chaitanya has been mentioned in this and Krishna and Radha. It says, Radha Krishna Pranai Vikritir. Radha is the transformation of the Ananda of Krishna. Krishna means, Ananda means the loving aspect, right? If we want to say, what is existence? I want to say, it's loving, being, knowing, and loving. It's a unit of being, loving, loving, and knowing. Satchit hmm? Ananda. So the source is such. Hmm? The Ananda, hmm? the Swarup Ananda, the Ananda of Krishna, Radha Krishna Pranai, becomes transformed hmm? and appears as Radha Krishna. Then Krishna beca can become the object. For love, there means to be love and an object of love. Hmm? In the Upanishads, it is said, Rasovai Saha, Rasovai Saha, Brahman is Rasa. Brahman means. <laughs> Brahman means the existence, the Godhead. Hmm? 
And Brahman is everywhere. How can it move? Taitare Upanishads said, said, Rasulaisaha. It says, there's movement. Rasa. Rasa means taste. For taste, there has to be something to taste in a taster. Hmm? Inside the realm of consciousness, there's some differentiation that doesn't compromise unity. There's differentiation there, but it doesn't compromise unity. The unity of love for all remains. Hmm? But there's a variety of reciprocal dealings in love with the center at the same time. Hmm? Just like you could say a family is unified, but there's all that it's made up of different types of love, right? The husband loves the wife, the wife loves the husband. That's similar. Hmm? But then the, 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 the parents love the children. That's a different kind of love, right? And the children love uh, the parents. So you see what I'm saying? There, here is an example. The, the, the family is a loving unit, but it's made up of different kinds of love at the same time. But they don't get in the way of one another hmm? entirely. <laughs> right? hmm? So I'm saying the same thing. That's just a material example, an analogy. Go to the spiritual side. There's a possibility of loving the center from slightly different angles. Hmm? that makes up a variety in the realm of consciousness, which love is all about, this reciprocal dealings. But that variety doesn't compromise the unity. Hmm? There's no hating there. There's no, and no one is living off of anybody else. Hmm? Everyone is focused on the center, giving all to the center, and the center is such because it, because it can give back. In other words, you could say, the stomach is the center of my body. I give food there. What does the stomach do with it? It gives it back to every other limb of the body. Hmm? So the center is such that we should give to the center because we'll be nourished by that. Hmm? The center is also a giver, hmm? even though it's an object of receiving our love. Hmm? So, the one, the center, these are moments in eternity that, you know, we can only talk about it with words. The one becomes two as Radha Krishna. Radha is the transformation of love of Krishna. Radha Krishna Pranai Vikritir. Hmm? And that Radha we call Bhakti Devi, the kind of the queen, the goddess of Bhakti the full expression, the fullest expression of love that is the ideal for the devotee. Hmm? That bhakti is a particular, uh, embodied in Radha is a particular shakti. And when that shakti is shared with us, we are a shakti, we are jiva shakti, the atomic particle of consciousness. When that is shared with us, hmm, then is, there's a possibility for us to experience the fullness, the full potential of our ananda or loving capacity as a, uh, uh, which is part of our, and the principal part of our, in a sense, uh, consciousness makeup. Hmm? So, Krishna becomes Radha. Hmm? 
he can taste himself through Radha. Hmm? In a sense, this is bhakti. Hmm? So we have this kind of kind of duality, but they are one. And these these two, these one. If you look closely, you see Krishna. Look closer, you see. Oh, there's Radha also. Hmm? And the verse said, "Look closer, and you see Chaitanya, hmm? who's the combined form of Radha and Krishna appearing in the world to advocate this form of kirtan that we do." Hmm? Who said here, "Param vijayate, Sri Krishna sankirtanam." Let the world be ruled by this, by kirtan, hmm? by this kind of kirtan. And this kind of thinking that underlies this spiritual practice, you can see it's, a, it's deep. I mean, I'm a little lost myself here. And, uh, it, 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 you know, you get in it and even new things come. It's very, you know, it, it, it makes your head, just to talk about it, makes your head go around, which we're, we're trying to do, right? We're trying to get into that circular kind of a cyclical, you know, Movement and go with the rhythm of the, of the world, so to speak. Hmm? Work with the world rather than than than, than against it. Hmm? So there's a rich, very rich um, philosophy that underlies this expression of love that is kirtan. I said it's a you know expression of love, but it's obviously very wise love here. Hmm? It can cast a light on the the shadow and the darkness of what goes for love in the world. Hmm? Love's imposter, if you will, the counterfeit. Hmm? And interestingly enough, when it sheds a light on the, on, on the darkness of what, what is counterfeit love, that puts us in when we see in that light, puts us in a position to start to love the people that we are only engaging a counterfeit loving engagement with, relationship with. You understand? We can start to see them for what they are rather than what they are for me based on what I think I am, this bundle of neurons and desires and so forth. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, this is what we're doing. As try as we may, outside of spiritual discipline, we remain takers and objectifying others and therefore not knowing what they really are or what we are. So when, they sh when we shed a light on the counterfeit love through kirtan, we're in a better position to actually love people who are dear and near to us and so forth. Hmm? Indeed, they can start to become um, uh, uh, instruments, really, or... Uh, or Players in our pursuit of real love, they can assist us in that. Hmm? They can, um, uh, yeah, hmm? that's nice. And then there's a long march from there hmm? to what real love, what is praying. I'm talking about here, kirtan as a spiritual practice in sadhana. It's a practice. You can chant now, we can chant. You may not feel ecstasy. You might think, that sounds nice. And some of these thoughts may go through your head and so forth. Hmm? But what is ecstasy? You know, this is a big word. Hmm? Ecstasy re really means, ecstatic means beyond the senses. Hmm? It's really, we use it in a material way. That was ecstatic, you know. He caught the home run or he, or he kicked the 
uh, touchdown or whatever, you know. It was ecstatic, you know. There's a kind of a material bliss and excitement. This is a different thing altogether what we're talking about. Hmm? 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 So, in, but, it, but, what, what, but, but why we get involved? Generally, in such a thing, because we generally meet people who we feel are chanting and they're experiencing some ecstasy and they're trying to articulate that ecstasy hmm? in a logical way in, in, so that, that it might you know, get by the guard of your mind and intellect and enter your heart and change you. Hmm? Change you. You should think, you need to change. We need to change. How happy are we? We must be doing something wrong. How happy can we be? What is ananda? What is ananda? I mean, they have no measure to that happiness. Do you want to measure? Do you want to limit the extent to which you want to be happy? No. Hmm? Are your hairs standing on end at every moment? And you think, I've got some work to do. Hmm? I, must be going, I must be going in the opposite direction. <laughs> My hair is laying flat. Hmm? I shave mine so no one will know. <laughs> so, no. so we meet someone hmm, who has a necessity, if you will, to talk about these things because they are experiencing something that, that just words and reason, mind, don't do justice to, but still they have to be talked about. They have to be expressed. Hmm? So some way they try to express this and it becomes somewhat compelling, even if we don't understand it. We think, sounds like she knew what he, she was talking about, hmm? sitting up there. Hmm? And so, or we understand something, some point goes in, it becomes compelling. So then we, we, we go with that and we practice and so forth. Hmm? This isn't kirtan or bhakti in ecstasy. This is bhakti in practice. Hmm? In this realm of bhakti, some philosophy is useful. Hmm? what it really is, what it's not, and so forth, to get a conceptual orientation such. Hmm? One of my, uh, a friend of mine, he asked our guru, he said to our guru, whenever I chant, he said, a blue light comes and surrounds me. And my guru Mar said, keep chanting, it'll go away. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that too, you know, what is it? What, what, one thing that we should get by kirtan and, and, and spiritual practice in this tradition is some understanding of what it's about. Hmm? That'll be progress. And before ecstasy, there may be some ecstasy, some taste in the beginning, that's, but to have a whole life of ecstasy, some understanding. What that understanding will do will help me to, to continue to practice, that I have a reason for practice. This makes sense. I have to be motivated in the beginning, perhaps, by that. Hmm? Or I may be drawn by someone who has taste and think, who cares? He has a taste. I want to follow that. I'll do whatever he's doing. I'll do the same way. That's the easy way. Hmm? Still, in association with such a person, you'll learn something. Hmm? You'll want to see some building blocks, some foundational stones are in place for a house of bhakti. Hmm? That can be built and you can live in that. Hmm? The yoga movement is big in America, you know, and kirtan is very popular also. Hmm? But it needs it needs some philosophy. This bhakti shop is very good for that. Hmm? Some of my students they teach here, you know, and friends. Hmm? This is good for that. Hmm? This is the place 
in Portland among, I don't know, 54 yoga studios, you can get some real philosophical grounding. Hmm? In bhakti, and we can speak about any tradition, hmm? Hmm. there's some commonality between all, of course. We're, we're bhaktas, bhaktins. Hmm? So we speak about that with some enthusiasm, hmm? and others comparatively and so forth, not to deprecate them. People can choose their paths, but there's a good, there's a good reason for this, to choosing this one, naturally. <laughs> you, you should reason your path is the best. That will help you to follow it <laughs> without disregarding any other. Hmm? But this is important. In the yoga community, some of you are, you know, just here maybe coming for the first time as a curious event and so forth. Some of you more involved and so forth. But this yoga community, I've been involved in the yoga community since 1971. Hmm. It needs, and it wasn't as popular then. Then you didn't know the difference between yogurt and, and, and yoga. <laughs> and yogurt wasn't popular. <laughs> That's fact. Some Bulgarian thing or it comes from India. <laughs> so so some, some kind of conceptual orientation, philosophical grounding, that's very useful, it's very helpful. Hmm? If you can come to sessions like this and hear, and it's friendly, it's, 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 it's very full of goodwill and so forth. And it's, uh, it's, it's, for my part, it's a logical arrangement of my own ecstasy and heart, trying to you know, articulate it, if you will, hmm? that, it could be sh- that, I could, that you could make a lake out of a waterfall, so to speak, that it could be approached. And you could drink, find its utility. Hmm? It could be drunk from. It could be swim. You can swim in it. Hmm? Waterfall may be hard to approach. I mean, I'm hardly a waterfall by comparison. Here's the picture of Chaitanya hmm? in ecstasy. You can't see, but this book is available there too. Um, hmm. Every time chanting, drowning the audience in tears and so forth. This is possible. Hmm? These aren't. This is not a frustration, but tears. It's of even it's just in a basic sense you, you when you know it when you feel it when you actually experience it the whole world the things i'm talking about all these mental constructs that's all they are hmm? ah it had no bearing all the things i was so invested in concerned about and worried about my mind was constantly busy about and so forth huh. it has no bearing on what i am on my existence Wow, that you could cry about that. That's a relief, and that's just beginning idea. Hmm? What to speak to move in that world that is beyond. Now, in in this realm, we should cry because we can't cry when we chant. We think it's not working. What's wrong with me? Hmm? Take some time. Hmm? It's after all, it's a it's a bhakti tradition, so it means you know love is not a cheap thing. Hmm? So I can talk about it in such a way it'll sound great, and you can go home and think it's, wow, it's real beautiful and so forth. But, but I'd rather talk about it in such a way that you, 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 know, you, you, you wonder, I don't know if I want to take it up. <laughs> it's a bit of a challenge, you know, because that's the way it is, actually. Hmm? Otherwise, we only get a facsimile of it, some sentimental idea. And religion is full of sentimental ideas that, that are turning people off, you know, to spirituality, unfortunately. Sentimental ideas aren't grounded in... in, in real understanding and in real practice superstitious and uh, and 
so forth, and it ends up turning into, in some instances, hating instead of loving, isn't it? Hmm? In some expressions of modern religion and so forth. So mysticism is, uh, you know, this is a different orientation. And, and mystics will differ, but they don't fight with one another. <laughs> they have interesting differences about their experiences to share, ways of thinking about it. Hmm? So these are, anyway, a few words on kirtan. What's the time? So, do you want to have any question? We're going to meet tomorrow, too, at uh, my student's house, Hari Bhakti, who's gets credit for bringing me here all, all these times. I mean, others are helping now, which is, which is nice and much appreciated. But she um, started bringing me here, so much appreciate that. And um, so some of you here tonight may come tomorrow there. We could ask questions. Maybe we should have some kirtan first, yeah, and then we'll end with that. Thank you very much. So. What do you want to sing? What 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 kirtan do you know? Anyone? Don't be shy now, we're all friends here. You know Govinda Jaya Jaya? Govinda Jaya Jaya? Gopal Jaya Jaya? Radha Ramana Hari Govinda Jaya Jaya. You know that? Some of you? You don't? Yeah. Uh, okay. Govinda Jaya Jaya Gopala Jaya Jaya